Hi, everyone. Over at PeteBrownSays.com, you can submit your own story in response to a prompt that appears on the Submit page. There's a Record button right there on the page. You just click it, share your story, and click Send. It's all anonymous, and I love getting to hear your stories. Thanks and good times. This is Season 1, Episode 5, A Pillowcase Mystery. I am out of shape, my friends. I am badly out of shape. My metabolism has slowed down as I crossed over into my late 40s, and my efforts to exercise seem to come in fits and starts, or more accurately, fits and stops, or... To be completely honest, in stops and stops. A buddy and I signed up for a 5K that's this coming weekend, so I've been trying to get out and run over the past two weeks. But we've already crossed daylight savings here in central Ohio, so if I get home from work at 6 or 6.30, it's already pitch dark outside. I've been running with one of these head flashlights on my head. It's not a great look for me. And just an aside here, when I was growing up, Headlamps were for, like, coal miners, right? They were big and bulky, pre-LED technology. I remember we had one flashlight in our house, and it took these huge D batteries, which were invariably dead whenever we needed the light. You could also buy replacement bulbs for your flashlights back then. That was totally a thing. I mean, I remember when my parents bought me my own flashlight before I left for sleepaway camp when I was 10 years old. I thought I had hit the jackpot. I mean, my own flashlight. Nowadays, flashlights seem pretty commonplace. They come in hundreds of different form factors, and they rely on these LEDs, light-emitting diodes, instead of bulbs that burn out. You can use smaller batteries in them, and they last longer. And they're cheap, too. I mean, these flashlights are cheap in a way that you suspect someone in an underprivileged country is probably getting screwed just so I can buy flashlights for pennies on the dollar. Still, am I wrong in thinking we're experiencing some sort of new golden age in the flashlight world? Sure seems that way. I bought a set of two of these head flashlights, or headlamps as I'll call them, for my kids about eight years ago when we were going camping for a week. I love remembering those kids bopping around the campfire with their headlights on, eight and six years old, just thrilled and very much in love with this adventure that their mom and dad had taken them on. Anyway, running at night with one of these things on your head really focuses your vision on the circle of light that's on the ground about three feet ahead of you. Your peripheral vision remains unlit, so it begins to feel like you have blinders on, which is probably why the folded piece of notepaper on the sidewalk caught my eye as I ran up on it. So I stopped and picked it up. It was a shopping list. I could even tell you whose list it was because the notepaper has their name imprinted on the top. And I love finding things like this because it gives me what feels like a momentary but very authentic view into someone's life. Their life when they're at home and their masks are off and their guard is down. This person's list is pretty mundane. Bread, coffee, flour, carrots. But at the bottom of the list, written in large letters, it says, C-type batteries. C's? Really? C batteries? They're the El Camino of batteries. They're shorter and fatter than those sports cars, AA and AAA, but they're puny when compared to the mighty pickup truck D's. Who buys C batteries anymore? What could they possibly be for? I don't know the answer to that. So I'm just going to presume they need them for a flashlight.
I think we only get to know our parents as actual human people like this, in these small glimpses caught when their parenting force fields are down, and we see that they're as flawed as the rest of us, and they experience struggles just like we do. We learn that they have more hopes and thoughts and dreams and things to do beyond driving us to and from practice or to the movies or wherever we ask to go. When I was a little kid, I remember thinking that grown-ups seemed hopelessly lost to me. I mean, they had money and transportation, and if they wanted to, they could drink cherry Kool-Aid at every meal. And also chocolate milk whenever the hell they wanted. But for some reason, they chose not to. And that really confused me. It still kind of does, to be honest. I've been thinking a lot about seeing our parents as humans this week. Wondering what foibles of my own have clued my kids in to the fact that I don't have all the answers. I've been thinking a lot about my mom as well. The day this podcast comes out, it will be three years to the day since she passed away after a decade-long battle with cancer. She died just a few days before what would have been her 74th birthday. And yet I'm still learning things about her that I never knew. Today's story is about one such mystery. And it revolves around something that was in my very first bedroom when I was just a few years old. And yet, the mystery of it didn't resolve until quite recently in my life. Now I have a trick that I use when I'm trying to get my brain back to the very earliest memories I have. What I do is I picture my room my very first room in our first house. I see the baby blue walls, the table lamp with a red, white, and blue base and blue piping on the shade, the children's desk with attached chair. The more details I can recall about this room, the more I can begin to live again in that time, and some deep-seated memories can begin to surface. This week's prompt at PeteBrownSays.com asked people to share what item or items they might remember being in their very first room. What were these things, and what did they look like? Why do you think you remember them? I got a few submissions with some interesting responses. The earliest item I still have from my childhood is a 1975 Hulk comic book that I bought from the corner store, rode down on my bike, and bought it for 25 cents. So in my first room, I remember a couple prints or paintings that were hanging up, and one was like a homeless dog puppy with gigantic eyes. And another one I think was a little girl, looked also homeless with gigantic eyes, standing by like a dirty fence or something stupid. And I can't remember how many times I perused that, read through it, because it was one of the very first things that I had bought with my own money. My dad had made a lamp out of an old school telephone, you know, the kind where you have to pick the receiver up and hold it to your ear and then you speak into the other part of the phone. He took one of those things and made a lamp. And so when you lift up the receiver, the lamp would turn on. I remember that being in my bedroom and playing with that incessantly. And of course, I still have it. And the thing I find fascinating about it now is looking back some 40-some years are the type of ads that are in that book, ads that you just don't see anymore. Uh, I remember the monsters that were under my bed. They were shaped like little um, mushroom ghost things. They were only a couple inches tall, and they had large eyes, and I was always scared to go under my bed. I remember that there was a closet door that actually led to the attic stairs, and there were stairs that went up to the attic, and it was really steep. I was never allowed to go up there, and that scared me too. Uh, I don't really remember much else about my bedroom right now, but maybe the more I think about it, I will.
and then I'll leave you another stupid message. Those were great. And I thank everyone who submitted. Again, folks, head over to PeteBrownSays.com and click submit to submit a story at any time. And as much as I love hearing from the one guy who has been using the page more or less as an online confessional, it would also be great to get more voices in the show. Now that we're all thinking about our childhood homes, I'm wondering if you can think of anything from your home that just seemed normal to you until you remember it later when you're an adult or you mention it in conversation with someone and they're like, whoa, 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 what? And I'm not talking about the bad stuff or evil doings here. And if that was the case for you, I'm so very sorry and hope that you're doing okay. But what I'm thinking of here is more the unique ways your family did the mundane stuff. Like in our home, we never refrigerated two liters of Pepsi. We kept them out on the counter and just served the drink over ice instead. And often, my mom seemed to like drinking it warm. And it wasn't until I got to college and had other roommates that I realized this wasn't a common practice. Or that guy from earlier. Had he ever dropped into a conversation the fact that he had a lamp made from an old telephone that you turned on and off by lifting the receiver? If I heard someone slip that detail in... I'm calling an immediate timeout so I can get more details. By the way, I asked phone lamp guy, who I suspect is also online confessional guy, if he could send me a picture of the phone lamp. It just came in this morning. I was super psyched to see it, and I'm going to put it on Instagram the week this episode comes out. So make sure that you follow me on Instagram at PeteBrownSays to check out the phone lamp. So those are some examples. Today's mystery revolves around an item that we had in our home the entire time I was growing up. And it was only when it came back to me a few years ago that it suddenly struck me as really odd and unusual. And it surprised me that through it, I would learn something about my mom in the process. For this story to make any sense as a mystery, you have to know what kind of person my mom, Jackie, was and the care, thought, and effort she put into the home she made. Comfortable, tasteful spaces punctuated with unique items that she picked up in her years as an antiques dealer and an estate sale liquidator. Every room in her home was done just so, colors carefully chosen, unique furniture combinations that just somehow worked together. She was partial to French country, Limoges porcelain, and Anglophilia, things like royal family commemorative tins. For inspiration, she poured through magazines, from Better Homes all the way up through Architectural Digest. In her later years, she became a true Pinterest commando. And though I am biased as her only son, I think it's fair to describe her as a woman of style and grace, capable of achieving that perfect balance between design and comfort. As you might suspect for a woman of her era, she was in no small way a fan of Jackie Kennedy. She even changed the spelling of her first name to match how Jackie Kennedy spelled it. And when eBay became a thing, she used it to buy a to do list written by Jackie Kennedy when she was first lady. It's pretty cool. My mom was not, as you might also guess, much of a sports fan. When Cleveland sports teams did well, I think she was pleased, but I think she was more happy about the lift in mood that the occasional winning season lent the populace of our Rust Belt city. Closing steel mills, auto assembly plants, burning rivers, bankruptcy, and other tough times, well, they all feel much more get throughable to our citizens. If the Browns are winning, or the Indians are in a pennant race, or the Cavs make the playoffs. My mom only attended a very small handful of my Little League games, declaring them too hard for her to sit through, which I want to believe was a reference to the aluminum bleachers, where she sat in a headscarf and big sunglasses. 
and not what was much more likely the case, having to watch her only son strike out four times in every game. Which is why this thing, this mystery I'm going to share, is just so damn weird and perplexing. Because the item I'm going to tell you about was in her home from at least the early 1970s. I remember it being in my room in our first house in 1973 or 1974. I was only two or three years old at the time, and this is honestly one of my earliest memories. And somehow, this thing remained in her possession across the span of years and years through two moves and a downsizing until it became mine once more after she passed away three years ago this month, as I said. And given how often she made regular donations to St. Vincent de Paul and to Goodwill, as well as her preference for refinery, well, it's just a pretty amazing feat for a pillowcase. Huh? Yes. The mystery I am sharing with you today is about a pillowcase. A Mark Spitz pillowcase, in case that clears it up. I've lived in our current home for about one year now, so it was just about a year ago that we had a housewarming party, and I mentioned to a group of my friends that I was working on some essays that I thought would make a pretty good podcast. And they asked me about what kind of stories I was writing, and to be honest, my elevator pitch at the time was pretty poorly crafted. Because I remember stumbling through an answer like, um, well, you know, a Little League and uh, youth soccer and this game ball I have that I gave myself and when I was a ref and also about my Mark Spitz pillowcase. <laughs> Friends, very few phrases in life will bring a social occasion to a halt as quickly as it's a story about my Mark Spitz pillowcase. Mark Spitz, if you don't know, was a swimmer who won 11 Olympic medals in swimming, nine of which were gold. He's best remembered for the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, where he won seven gold medals in seven events, setting seven world records as he did it, which is still kind of hard to believe. American record 54.68, and Mark Spitz swimming in lane number four has the lead. In lane number three, Ross Wales staying with him. In lane well before Michael Phelps came along, there was Mark Spitz, and the distance between them is closer than you would think. All of those records you've watched Phelps break over the years, almost all of them were set by Mark Spitz. By Mark Spitz and his mustache. Because it's kind of hard to talk about Mark Spitz without mentioning his mustache, which was very big and very bushy and very 1972 through and through. He had it in Munich when he set all of those records, and he has it in his picture on my pillowcase. In case you're wondering if there's more to a Mark Spitz pillowcase than it sounds, let me assure you, there is not. It is simply a white pillowcase. On one side, there is a black and white picture of Mark Spitz's head. And that's it. There's no other branding, no telltale Wheaties logo or other brand to suggest this might have been some sort of mail-order promotion. There is just Mark Spitz's head, his neck, part of his bare shoulders, upon which you can see the chains from his seven gold medals. Much like the phone lamp, I was immediately called on this detail, and thus I led an expedition party into our master bedroom where I removed the Mark Spitz pillowcase from the linen closet and laid it out for all to see. There was a moment there that I think you could safely call stunned silence. After a beat, my friend Lothar spoke up. Wow, he said, that is a Mark Spitz pillowcase. There's really not much you can say about it beyond that. 
Its presence is just so literal and so certain and matter-of-fact once you lay eyes upon it. I like to think that Lothar's life split in two at that moment. The years he had lived, blissfully unaware of the existence of Mark Spitz pillowcases in the world, and the moment after he uttered that phrase, when he got woke, as the kids say, to the reality of the Mark Spitz pillowcase and world we actually live in. I want to mention here that after winning his seven golds in 1972, Mark Spitz was the subject of a very famous full-color poster of him standing in his bathing suit with his seven gold medals on. It was one of the first real Olympic athlete posters to sell like crazy. And I've read online that Spitz was something of a pioneer for an Olympian to translate his success into merchandising and souvenirs. And it's worth noting that the Spitz pillowcase, though black and white, appears to have been screen printed, which rules out the idea that someone suggested to me that maybe it was an iron-on of some sort distributed through breakfast cereals or whatnot. And by the way, there are just over 1,000 results when you search Mark Spitz on eBay, and not one of them is a pillowcase. They're mostly autographed photos, cards, or that poster that I mentioned earlier. So, absent any additional information about the product itself, I'm faced with the very likely possibility that my mom or dad bought a Mark Spitz pillowcase in 1972 or 1973 and added it to our linen closet as if it were no big deal and there was nothing odd about it at all. And while I simply can't reconcile in my mind the idea that my mom would have bought it, it is slightly more plausible than my dad did. I mean, he did come home with the odd purchase from time to time. But I cannot say that I would ever consider him a swimming fan, or a Mark Spitz fan, or even an Olympics fan for that matter. So it seems clear that I have to track down some people and ask some tough questions. As I said, my mom's passed away, but my dad is a spry 93 and still very sharp. But his hearing is rough. Talking on the phone with him can quickly devolve into a shouting match of miscommunication. But I think if I bring the pillowcase to him, if I lay it out in all its glory, it might jog his memory and the story behind it can be revealed. There's a chance, too, that my three older sisters also might have some insights to share. And of course, if these two leads fail, I can try to reach out to Mark Spitz himself. He's 67 now and does about 25 speaking events a year. It's a bit of a long shot, asking one of America's most decorated Olympians to give some of his time to a podcast that, the moment I am writing this, has a total of zero episodes and zero listeners. And while Spitz certainly won't be able to tell me how this pillowcase came into my family, perhaps he's got some insight into the product itself. Maybe there's a story about the crazy idea some marketer had back in the 70s to put Spitz's face on bed linens. There's a Twitter account that may be his. Been more or less dormant for the past few years. Same with a Facebook page. Both reference a URL, markspitzusa.com, that seems to resolve to nothing at the moment, although using the Wayback Internet Archive, I turned up an old, flash-heavy website that appears to not have been updated since 2007. So with this mystery thick and properly established, I'm leaving off the written portion of today's episode for now. When you hear me again, I'm hoping I'll be in Cleveland with mics at the ready. Okay, this is Pete. Uh, several months later now, from when I first wrote that opening, I'm going to play some excerpts from an interview I did with my dad. And, and while I did, in fact, bring a proper digital audio recorder with me when I visited, I totally forgot to bring an SD card, which, by the way, did nothing to convince my dad that I've managed to pull any of my shit together in the 30 years since I left home. I ended up using my phone to record the interview. 
And I want to mention that my dad suffers from chronic back pain because when he was 85, he thought cleaning the gutters would be a totally fine thing to do, and he fell and broke his back. The day I visited, his pain was unusually high, so he had taken a painkiller. And every time I held the phone close to his mouth to record what he was saying, he thought I was trying to give it to him. For some reason, he didn't understand, so he kept putting up his hand and saying, no thank you. So all that's context for the audio quality you're about to experience. How you doing, Dad? Fine. Okay. I want to show you this thing. I've had it since I was a kid, and I don't think Mom gave it to me, but I can't figure out how it came into our life, okay? Oh. Oh. <laughs> that, yeah, that's uh, the guy that got all the medals for swimming. Yeah, Mark, Mark Schitt. Schitt. Yeah, yeah. That, your mother was in love with him. Oh, was she really? <laughs> yeah. Did she, she thought, buy this? Yeah, oh, she loved him. Really? Yeah. So she bought it because she loved him? Yeah. I can't believe it's been on my she bed. She was crazy about him. <laughs> oh. Well, you inherited it. Yeah, that's right. But she had it on her pillow for a long time. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. That makes no sense. <laughs> that's really not true. Well, no. Oh, my She God. bought it for you. Just, I remember I, her I buying was, it. I was only you a did. year old when this when this would have come out. No, it would have been was 1972 older. Olympics. No, I remember her buying it. You just you. got it by... Uh, uh, seniority, I think. So you think you think that she <laughs> bought it for herself and then gave it to me? Well, no, I think I gave it to you, didn't I? You, no. yes. I don't know. I, I think I did okay. because she had already passed away by then. Uh -huh. Oh, he gave it to you after. So that's right. That's yeah. right. But when I was a little kid, it was on my bed. Well, when was what uh, Olympics was he in? Nineteen seventy-two. Seventy-two. It wasn't after that. I remember her buying Six, it in the 80s. You remember 80, her buying it in yeah. the 80s? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know it's when she bought it. She didn't buy it during the Olympics. She bought it afterwards. Yeah. You knew your mother. She always waited till it was over. Yeah. But did she just come home one day and say, look what I bought? Yeah. I think she bought two of them. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my God. I wouldn't let her put one on mine. Yeah, I gotcha. So you think she bought it for a joke? No, she was very serious. Yeah. But then she laughed a lot. Yeah, I gotcha. Huh. <laughs> well, that solves that mystery. Quickly. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Okay. Well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Signing off. Signing off. Also, the woman's voice you heard in there was my sister Amy, my second oldest sister, who, along actually with all of my sisters, does an amazing job taking care of my dad. And in many ways, and particularly the bossy ways, she is the most like my mom. And I love my sister Amy, but the fact is we are often like planets rotating around opposite sides of the sun. Our takes on so many different things have always just naturally fallen into diametric opposition. The Mark Spitz pillowcase was no exception, because you see, if there's one thing I remember clearly about this pillowcase, one image that made me want to do the episode at all, it's my memory of discovering the Mark Spitz pillowcase on a pillow on my bed in my bedroom of our first house, the house we moved out of in 1976. Here's Amy when I followed up with her about the claim that my mom bought the pillowcase as a joke on clearance in the 1980s. And in her defense, buying things on clearance as a joke was something that happened in our family from time to time. So the scenario itself more or less checks out. That's really not true. Well, no. <laughs> oh my she God. bought it for you. 
Just, I remember her I, I buying was, it. I was only you a did. year old when this when this would have come out. No, it would have it been was 1972 older. Olympics. No, I remember her buying it. It wasn't after that. I remember her buying Six. it in the 80s. You remember 80s. her buying it yeah. in the 80s? Yeah, I don't know it's when she bought it. Let's sell it on eBay. Maybe we can get a lot of money for it. Uh, it's no, just cr- well, I was like, what was it like a cereal box promotion or no, something? But I no, think no, she no, bought this no. at like Higby's or something. Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Or someone had it made. They were selling them. Oh. Yeah. Because that was pretty. Uh, By the way, major what? thing he did all those uh, gold medals. Yeah. Maybe you can get a. Um, Michael Phelps? Yeah, one yeah. to match. Uh-huh. It yeah. wasn't the 70s because it's 50%, 50-50 cotton and poly, and they wouldn't have had it back then, a blend. Yeah, it but been how, all poly. how would he have been a relevant character I'm in the 80s? a fabric specialist. I'm just saying. She picked it up somewhere when she saw it, probably on clearance at Higby's. Do you think she bought it for me? Yes, she did. And not for, and not for no. Herself. No, and not for herself. See, could, Let that I be the record. Imagine, I couldn't imagine her buying it. She bought it on clearance somewhere. I'm mm. sure of it. Clearance? Or an unholy crush? Clearance, <laughs> clearance, 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 and then an extra 50 off. I love how she says, Let that be the story, too. Because there's something real protective in the sentiment. Like she's still looking out for my mom the way she did up until she passed away. If I had to guess, and I do have to guess because I honestly don't have the energy to attempt a second interview with her, I would guess that there's just something about the idea of my mom as a young woman in the early 1970s having a fun crush on an Olympic swimmer, and it just doesn't parse with my sister's understanding or memory of my mom, which I totally get. It's that glimpse into the world of our parents as actual people and how hard it can be for us to reconcile with our childhood understanding of them. Or maybe she's worried that my mom would be upset with me that I'm sharing with the world, all 154 of you who have been listening to the show, that she once had a crush on Mark's bits that was so strong that it carried itself over into bed linens. So, 1980s, bargain bin, joke purchase, let that be the story, she says. Let that be the story. But if you've listened to any of the previous episodes of this show, I think you know already that I just can't do it. I can't let that be the story. Because my memory of the Mark Spitz pillowcase so clearly predates the 1980s. My bedroom in our first house was painted blue and had served as a nursery for three kids. It always had a slight smell of nursery to it, even after I got a big boy bed, as they say. It was connected to the master bedroom through a shared bathroom, so that way my mom could step through to check on the babies should they wake up in the night. Since I was the last one born, it just one day became my room by default. Next to my bed was a lamp with a red, white, and blue base and blue piping on the shade. I discovered the Mark Spitz pillowcase on a pillow on my bed one day after my mom had made it. I was very young, very little. I remember sitting down on my bed and looking at it and wondering about it for a moment and then calling out to my mom through the shared bathroom. Hey, mom, who's this mustache guy on my bed? It's another one of those memories that I experience in great detail and full color, one that has remained more or less consistent and unchanged for me over the years. And since it likely was in 1973 or 1974, I recognize that this is probably one of the earliest memories that I have. So you know how you sometimes hear the phrase, since the beginning of recorded time? 
I love that phrase. I imagine that everybody was just going about their daily business and one guy goes, hey, we ought to be writing some of this shit down. And then boom, recorded time began. Well, me discovering the pillowcase on my bed in my blue bedroom that still smelled faintly of nursery, that's my beginning of recorded time, the earliest thing I can reliably remember. And my sister's narrative that the pillowcase was bought in the 80s as a joke, well, that shifts my beginning of recorded history. And I think that must be why I'm having such a reaction to it. I just don't want those intervening years taken away from me. So I want you to know that I did reach out to Mark Spitz through Twitter and Facebook, but I didn't get a response back. And I realize that asking an Olympian with 11 medals for an interview on a brand new podcast with only a few hundred listeners, well, that's a long shot for anyone. Wikipedia tells me that Mark Spitz has done well since the 1972 Olympics. In addition to endorsement deals, he started a real estate company, worked as a broadcaster for ABC during the 76 and 84 Olympics. In 1992, he attempted a comeback, but failed to qualify for the Olympic team, even though some of his times at that trial were better than what they had been in 1972. There's also a good deal of verbiage online about a minor kerfuffle in 2008, when Spitz was apparently miffed that USA Swimming didn't invite him explicitly to Beijing to watch Phelps make a run at his records. And as far as I can tell, nowadays he's mostly a motivational speaker and a painter. He paints abstracts, a vein of art about which I know very little, but based on the images I saw at markspitzart.com, seems serviceable and well-wrought. Markspitzart.com, by the way, appears to not have been updated since 2011. So, not surprisingly, I failed to land a Mark Spitz interview, leaving me to wonder what I would have asked him about anyway. I'm sure I would have asked questions about the 72 Olympics and about seeing the records get broken. These are questions I'm sure he's been asked a million times. I'd be interested to hear him talk about the endorsements and merchandising that followed the Olympics, though, and if he specifically reviewed products bearing his image before they hit the market. I really want to know if he was even aware that there was a Mark Spitz pillowcase, or if he has one or more, in his home? That's an interesting question. What if Mark Spitz sleeps on a bed with Mark Spitz pillowcases? He probably just calls them me pillowcases. I can't imagine I would do that if I, if I had a pillowcase with my face on it that I would sleep with it on my bed. But you know, potato, potato. And there really is one last question that I'd have to ask, and it's really the only question I want to ask, but it's a bit absurd, because it was asked that evening when I had laid the Mark Spitz pillowcase out on the bed for several of my friends to see. I wonder if there were sheets with the rest of his body on them, my friend Mike asked. And we all laughed and agreed that that would have been awesome. And I have something for you listeners, a real treat. Because while I'm not great at landing Mark Spitz interviews, I am, as many people would agree, pretty damn good with Photoshop. So while the Mark Spitz pillowcase is the featured image for this episode, which you can see at PeteBrownSays.com or over on Medium, I've also used my Photoshop skills to bring the idea of complete Mark Spitz bed sheets to go along with a Mark Spitz pillowcase to life. I am also not too humble to declare that this is some of my best work. And so if you want to see the complete Mark Spitz pillowcase with mythical Mark Spitz bed sheets, you need to follow me on Instagram at Pete Brown Says, because that's the only platform where I'm putting this image and the phone lamp image. And I think that wraps up the pillowcase mystery and how I came to own a Mark Spitz pillowcase. Because apparently my mom who I still miss every day, 
was an actual, real person in the early 1970s, with what I have to believe was a fun celebrity crush on a bemustached Olympic hero, whose pillowcase she would buy, get a good laugh out of, and then put on the big boy bed in my room, the former nursery, where I would find it, and give it a long look, and wonder about its meaning. Just me and Mark Spitz, sitting on my big boy bed in a tidy suburb west of downtown Cleveland, waiting for the gun to start the race, dreaming of gold and raring to go. Well, I hope you like that one, everybody. I wasn't sure if I could get a whole episode out of a pillowcase, but as it turns out, I might have gone on a little too long. Check out these pictures on Instagram at Pete Brown Says. Next week is Thanksgiving week, so I'm taking the week off, so there's no episode next week. So if you haven't caught up on the first five episodes, it's a great time to do it. I really appreciate the four of you who have now written iTunes reviews for me. If you like the show, again, iTunes or Google Play reviews is a great way to let me know. Hey, Mom, you know, I... I don't know that they get podcasts wherever you are, but if they do, I just want to tell you, happy birthday, and I miss you every day, and Dad's doing great, and I love you. Take care, everybody. Pete Brown Says is the property of Blue Monkey Communications and is a work of creative nonfiction audio written and produced by me, Pete Brown. This show is written to the very best of my memory. Some music in the show comes from Brian Hake and Kevin Davison, and the closing song, I'm Not Myself, is by their band, Delicious. Other audio may have been sourced from the websites audionautics.com, incompetech.com, the YouTube Free Music Library, freesound.org, and podcastmusic.com. Most pieces are licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes at PeteBrownSays.com for complete attribution. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And as always, thanks for your time listening today. Good times, everyone. So this prompt is different than what your email says the prompt is about. This prompt on your website says it's the earliest item from my childhood that I still have today. And your email said, what do you remember from your first room? What the f***, Brown? <laughs>